back to Buckeye Talk. Let me paint you a little bedroom scene. You get Tim Bielek hanging on the bed. You got, what is that shirt? You got Landis straddling Ugh. an ottoman in a shirt that... <laughs> it says Curry James 2020, no bums. Did you make that shirt? No, <laughs> uh, I have a... I don't shop a lot, but one thing I'm a sucker for is, like, if I see a funny shirt on Instagram, I buy it instantly. Uh-huh. And this shirt came out, like, the day after LeBron said that thing about the president. And, I, of course, I bought it. <laughs> it was actually, actually kind of cheap, too. It was, like, 20 bucks. That's funny. It's a, it's a high-quality T-shirt. Wow. And uh, and I'm here, too. So that's Tim Bielek, Bill Landis, Doug Maurice. It's your post-game Ohio State Buckeye talk. Uh the Buckeyes 56-14 winners over Nebraska. We'll get into it a little bit. We have a couple questions from you guys. We'll look to Penn State a little bit. Um, but just another, I mean, you know, whatever. Ohio State looked really good. So we have things to talk about with that, some specific things. But I wanted to get these guys to check in first on something that I got, like, in a Twitter fight during the game over. Is Nebraska terrible? Uh... Like a terrible team this year? If someone said, uh, Nebraska's terrible, would you agree with that statement or disagree with that statement? I'd agree. They're pretty bad. Like, they're, they, I don't know. They're weird. Because, like, there's an argument, argument to be made that they're, like, nearly as bad as Rutgers. But then they also played kind of competitively with Wisconsin for almost an entire game. So maybe terrible is too strong of a word. I don't know, like we talked about Rutgers being bad and then Maryland being a step up and then Nebraska being a step up from that. I think Maryland is probably better than Nebraska. I think of Nebraska, I think of a program that is is really underachieving where it should be. And it goes to, you know, making the hire that they did, replacing Bo Pelini with Mike Riley, which seemed like a weird idea at the time. And this is kind of what you get with it. You have a team that... Is three and four. They've been blown out at home in back-to-back games, and today, you know, just looking really uncompetitive for a half of football. Giving up, I believe, thirty-five points at halftime. They were down forty-two nothing at one point. Are and, they terrible? Uh, yeah, or nay. This year, kind of. This I think year, if I think if you have to hedge on kind of the answer is yes. It. The hope for them is that this is just a one-year thing, that maybe they can pull out think, of it next year. Do you think they're not terrible? I think they're not terrible. I think terrible to me means like you're one of the worst teams around. And they have wins over Rutgers in Illinois. I know they lost to Northern Illinois. They also were way down against Oregon and rallied in that game and made it close. They were tied with Wisconsin late into the third quarter. This is not, this is not like an 0-12 team. This is a team yeah. that I think might get bowl eligible. This is a team that's going to finish maybe like four and four in the Big Ten. So to me, this is not terrible. And the reason that I was fighting with people on Twitter is because Ohio State, in my opinion, Ohio State made them look terrible. This is not a team that has zero talent and can't recruit. And it is basically a glorified Mac team. You know, this is not Rutgers. This is not Illinois. Um, they have more talent than Indiana, you know? And so I felt like – I know Nebraska – it was funny. It's like I tweeted, they're not terrible. 
you have to give Ohio State credit for making them. They're mediocre, and Ohio State's making them look terrible. And I was, like, besieged with Nebraska fans telling me, oh, no, yeah. we are terrible. And it's like, I know you're terrible compared to what you want Nebraska to be, but my point in asking all of this is because it's not a Nebraska podcast and it's not a boudoir podcast where we sit around and just describe what we're wearing in a hotel room. We're trying to talk about about Ohio State football. I thought that was a really impressive display. It didn't surprise me at all, but I think Nebraska is a competitive team against a lot of teams in the country. And Ohio State blew them off the field because Ohio State is playing really, really well right now. I think Ohio State on Saturday night played like one of the five best, one of the four best, maybe one of the two best teams in the country. And there are not, in my opinion, and if you then you guys agree or disagree, in my opinion, there are not a, a very many teams who would come into Memorial Stadium against that Nebraska team and do that to Nebraska, score touchdowns on the first eight drives. Now, it looked like Nebraska, we were saying during the game, what are they taking away? Like, oh, like there's all these holes in their defense. What are they actually stopping? I guess it's the deep ball, but they still tried a couple there and yeah. got some pass interference calls and stuff. I, what was JT's longest throw? His longest was... Was it the touchdown to McLaurin? It was only 31 yards to McLaurin. Yeah. So, so he threw for 325 yards on 26, 27 completions, and he didn't complete one longer than 31. So he was getting a lot of 15-yarders. Mm-hmm. So obviously Nebraska's defense looked terrible. I just don't think they are terrible. I think tonight – and the reason that I was like upset is because I saw – most of what makes me upset is other media members <laughs> – I felt like there are people whose analysis of the game early on was like, God, Nebraska sucks, rather than, wow, that is an Ohio State team that is doing a lot of things right right now. And I just thought tonight was more about giving Ohio State credit than getting caught up in the fact that Nebraska is not national championship caliber 20 years after Ty Osborne. Yeah, I think I, I mostly agree with that. Um, I was just thinking about Nebraska as you were as you were – Giving us your rant wasn't really a rant. wasn't a rant. You were ranting. Like, what do you think? Like, what do you think Nebraska is in the Big Ten? Out of fourteen Big Ten teams, Nebraska at the end of the year will be the blank out of fourteen Big Ten teams. See, nine, like eighth or ninth. Yeah. Like, and, and so for me, if like I think I would agree. With, I guess it's then your definition of terrible. If you're the eighth best team in a fourteen team conference, I don't think that's terrible. No, that means you no. want you beat a couple. If you're thirteenth to fourteenth, that's terrible to me. So that's where we I'm. know terrible in the Big Ten is Illinois and Rutgers, and there's a clear cutoff. Yeah, and that's their two wins, but yeah. their wins, but their wins. Yeah, and I think this like just thinking about some of the plays that are made, like their skill is certainly better than Rutgers, and probably better than like their receivers. The Spielman kid made a lot of nice plays. I think Stanley Morgan and was it? I don't know. Pearson L. I think had had one catch. I think. Yeah, he only Pearson L. Had only two for eight. And but he's been around forever. We know that he's a, he's at least a decent player. Um, yeah. And Tanner Lee, when he's not throwing the ball to the other team, is a serviceable quarterback. I think so. And he didn't throw a pick tonight. He did not. I said he would throw three, and he didn't throw one tonight, which is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. So I think I think what you're saying is right, Doug. I think, and it even. Almost regardless of the opponent, at a certain point when you're playing this well for this prolonged of a stretch, you have to start giving Ohio State credit. They haven't played this well over, was it been five games now? Or four games now? It's four games? Five games. Five. 
five games since Oklahoma. They haven't had a stretch like this since 2014. I don't even know if they had a stretch like this in 2014. I know they had like the three 60-point games in a row. Was they that what immediately, because Ohio State put out the stat this week that coming into the game, they had gained more yards in a four-game stretch than any time since 2014. Yeah. And that four-game stretch was the stretch after they lost to Virginia Tech, Kent State, Cincinnati, Rutgers, Maryland. It was very, very similar to this year. Yeah. I think you have you have to be able to, and again, it's like we're it's like a broken record now, but we're just trying to tell you like you need to be able to look past the opponent at a certain point and give Ohio State credit and like pr- appreciate how well they are playing because they have not played this well in three years. And I think another facet of this is that's interesting is Ohio State could have looked ahead to the bye week, they could have looked ahead to Penn State and probably let their guard down. They didn't, you know. Again, touchdowns on eight consecutive possessions. It tells you that they were focused for this game, which. You know, speaks to just the way that their intentions the last five weeks, how much things have changed since the Oklahoma loss, that they weren't looking ahead. They were, they just kind of had tunnel vision looking at the opponent. I think there's something to be said for that, focusing on what's in front of them and just getting the job done the way they did. 633 yards of total offense for Ohio State, 354 passing, 279 rushing. That to me was a quarterback tonight in complete control. Yeah. That to me, I'm not. I was going to say, I asked JT when he had played better. Um, I think he's playing the best I've ever seen. Yeah, I think since, even against Army, he was just kind of okay. Like, since UNLV, I think this is, because not only, like, the Michigan State game is still, like, it remains the best game he's ever played. And I thought his game against Wisconsin last year was really good, too. But those are individual performances, like prolonged stretches now. This is four games of really good JT Barrett. I feel like some of the his biggest problems as a passer have been attacking the middle of the field. He owns the middle of the field at the moment. And if you guys are reading us at all at Cleveland.com, and if you're not, turn off the podcast, go read 10 stories at Cleveland.com, then come back. We know how they're doing it. We know the routes they're running. They are finding things in the middle of the field. He is owning the middle of the field. And, Tim, I used to think he was afraid of the middle of the field. What's crazy is he's more aggressive down the field. He still hasn't thrown a pick since Oklahoma. And I'm looking at the numbers as did the math. He completed almost 82% of his passes. Yeah, it was 81 point whatever. Yeah, Yeah. 81.81 repeating for all you mathematicians out there. But, I mean, is in any level, completing almost 82% of your passes against a Power 5 opponent on the road is incredible. And we talked about it on the Facebook live chat before the game. I talked about how I felt like the next step for JT was performing well in a hostile environment. Going into the bye week, he did that and then some tonight. Doesn't he seem more poised, like in the pocket? Does he almost seem like a real quarterback, for lack of a better description? Absolutely. I, yes, he made the he made the one move where he spun out of pressure. Spun, I think it was I did a count or something. Was that the play? I think there's I a six like, Mississippi play. It was yeah. yeah. I tweeted about it. He got he, my counted up to six Mississippi. Spins away and then finds J.K. Dobbins. On the sideline, who had a foot down to get the catch? Because I think that, like, even in the stretch, the protection has been like fine. I don't like. I don't think he always has a clean pocket, but even when he doesn't, he still seems to be standing in there as long as he can. And then when he's moving, he's still moving, looking to throw. And that has not always been the. It's never really been the case in his career. And 
you know, all along, and Urban Meyer always said it, and everybody always knew it. It's like it's not just JT when it was going wrong. It's all the things working together. We know that. Protection, receivers, play calling, quarterback all go together. Um, but we did see it. The pump fake, the, the hesitating, the not being able to let it go, um, I drove everybody crazy. You know, it just drove everybody crazy. And there was always the component in that of, is it because nobody's open and he's reluctant to throw to people who are covered? And this was an extreme example because, again, Nebraska's defensive strategy apparently was just not cover people. (laughs) But there is a point to be made that, again, this is all in concert as well. He looks confident. He's not hesitating. He's letting it go. But the guys are more open than they have been. Certainly they are more open than they were last year, at any point last year. And I think, and again, this is what we've been writing, but would you guys agree? I think much much of that is the play designs and the scheme. Mm -hmm. And someone pointed this out, you know, saying something about, someone asked me during the game, is this more play calling or more JT's confidence? And I said, to me, it's play calling which is giving him more confidence. But I think it starts with the play calling. And someone made the point, well, it's not really the play calling, it's the scheme. And that's all the same to me. But it is the scheme. It is the types of routes. It is the structure. It is the framework. And then you call the plays within that framework. But that framework is different. And that framework is creating opportunities to get open. Therefore, the receivers and the plays they call are getting Deb open. Therefore, JT looks confident throwing it, and it's all working together. I'll point to an example of exactly what you said. KJ Hill's <coughs> touchdown. I mentioned this on Twitter, and I also mentioned this in my seven plays that shaped the game post, which you can find on cleveland.com. The way it's set up is KJ Hill's on the saw on the left side. I'm sort of drawing it out on the table that the phone is on. You got Marcus Ball here, and you got Johnny Dixon here. They're essentially running posts almost in sync with each other. They're going deep down the middle of the field, and K.J. Hill sort of softly cutting underneath into a mesh. And by those two drawing the defenders away, it opens that pocket for Hill, and it looks like there's nobody near him. He just has a nice, easy breeze into the end zone. That's play design. They run double posts? I, I believe it was double post. I'd have to watch it again, but from the replay I saw, it looked like double post. That's uh, the Ben Victor touchdown last week. The one in the back of the end zone, that was also a double post. K.J. Hill and Ben Victor. And even there was a deep ball that that Barrett threw to Ben Victor that was incomplete. That I said, that was a good incompletion Um, because it was one-on-one coverage. He put it up. He didn't overthrow him. He gave him a chance to make a play. It wasn't perfect. Victor tried to, like, cut under it and either got tangled up in the coverage or slipped a little bit or whatever. Um, didn't really have a shot at it. But to me, that's the kind of throw and that's the, the kind of route and that in a month against Michigan State when they need something, that's going to be complete. And they missed it tonight, but I was glad they took a shot at it. You could see why they missed it. You could see the idea was right. The quarterback made the right decision, made a decent throw. The receiver did a lot of the right things and just didn't pull it in. But even that kind of things, you can, again, they say this like they say this in hockey. Where's this basket? Their misses are good. Their miss, their misses are not just like, oh, that was a ridiculous route that never had a shot, or that was no. A lot of almost all. It feels like almost every play has a clear purpose. 
that the play callers understand and that the players know mm-hmm. how to execute. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I'm trying to remember the last few games because he definitely had some misses. JT had some obvious misses against Indiana, against Oklahoma, and even against Army. Um, I don't think he's had very many. in the Like, he had one, too, where he, I, it was going to be a touchdown to K.J. Hill if K.J. Hill didn't get tripped up. And I thought that ball, it looked like the ball was going to be thrown in the right spot for, J, for K.J. Hill to run underneath it and score a touchdown. The Victor ball was good. Um, the ball to McLaurin in the end zone was a good ball. It was, it was slightly underthrown, but it was still in a good enough spot for him to catch it. Um, his... It's all coming together, and like the, the accuracy is certainly part of that, and that seems to be much improved the last few weeks. And it's just all the things where they're building off, building off core concepts. They we've talked a lot about these mesh routes they run, where two guys cross, um, and then they settle a receiver behind the two of them in the middle of the field, and they've hit it to Johnny Dixon multiple times. They ran that concept Saturday night out of a two tight end look, which we have barely seen at all. But then it was one tight end. The tight ends lined up right next to each other. One tight end crossed in a mesh route with the receiver, and the second tight end settled behind. Yeah. And it's concepts with a different look. Um, they have a lot of different guys that can fit in a lot of different ways. And you can just sort of see as it's working, you can see how it would be hard for a defense to figure right, Tim? I mean, like, if you're, yeah. if you're a defense... And we did a video afterward, and Tim was talking about all the, you know, all the guys, and you can run through them if you want, Tim. Just how many guys caught passes, but you can see how the per- the different personnel groupings with similar concepts, and and you do this tweak and that tweak, and if it's an H back or if it's a tight end or whatever, you can see it's making it hard on a defense. Eleven guys caught passes against Nebraska. Ten had multiple catches. The only one who didn't was Johnny Dixon. He had a 13-yard. I believe it was in the first quarter, I want to say. But I I think this is the Kevin Wilson effect that we had talked about from the beginning of the season. We were wondering if we were going to see it week one. We kind of, you know, looking at it at week seven now, I think now we see it really this is the Kevin Wilson offense. This is what I think Urban Meyer envisioned when he brought Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day over to replace Tim Beck and Ed Warner and company. This is the offense I think he was envisioning, and this is what happens when you have a creative offensive coordinator and you give him access to these weapons that he probably had, he hasn't had since he was at Oklahoma. The tight ends have been really good the last two weeks. I just think this is worth pointing out. I th- Rashad Berry looks like a player. Like I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with him position-wise, moving forward, because he's kind of been moved all over the place. But I think he and Marcus Ball played really well the last two weeks. And I also think the tight end, for probably like two years now, maybe a little longer than that, has been the worst position group on the team, and that seems to have developed into an area of strength to the point now where it's being featured in two tight end sets, like you mentioned, Doug, that they're using him as whoever it is as a lead blocker and then targeting these guys in the red zone. Barry helped spring that J.K. Dobbins touchdown as Mm -hmm. well, and then he had back-to-back catches, including a really nice body control adjustment on that touchdown touchdown. in the third quarter. He looks good with the ball in his hand, man. He does. I mean, he... He looks explosive. As soon as he catches a ball, he wants to do something with it. Um, all right, we're going to get into some questions here. I want to ask one question real quick first because I made this statement in one of the videos we said after the game. I think Ohio State's better than Penn State. Now, I'm not predicting a win, but right now Penn State is going to move up to be the number two team in the country mm-hmm. because they were number three and number two clubs and lost. Penn State was off this week. Penn State blew out Akron. Beat Pitt 33-14, blew out Georgia State, 
beat Iowa by two on the road, blew out Indiana, and then won convincingly at Northwestern. What is so impressive about any of that? And I'm, the only can play your schedule, but they haven't played a team close to as good as Oklahoma. They have not. Not in the same zip code. And then, you know, they're not hanging 50. They hung 50 on Georgia State. They hung 52 on Akron. But, you know, 45-14 against Indiana. Thir- I, like, I'm... I think what they're doing on the field right now, I think if you're an Ohio State fan and you've been targeting Penn State, I think people are too scared of Penn State because I think if you just sat down for a second and looked at some numbers, looked at some scores, looked at some quality of opposition, and then you popped in some tape and that kind of thing, Ohio State's going to be favored in this game. For sure. For sure. I think they're going to be favored potentially by more than a field goal. By more than just what you would get for being the home team. Yeah, I think they might be favored by like seven and a half, like at least touchdown. So I'm just telling, like, this is not like, oh, how do we beat Penn State? Because Penn State, if they beat Michigan, should be the number two team in the country coming to Ohio Stadium. I think Ohio State is better than Penn State. Yeah, I think so. And uh, we're going to dig much more into Penn State in the in the next two weeks, but. The vibe that I'm getting from just like reading about Penn State and watching a little bit as I think offensively and they're encountering a little bit of what Ohio State encountered the last two years where they know they have a running back. Everyone's selling out to stop that running back, but throwing the ball has been a little difficult for them. Not as easy as it was last year when Trace McSorley was tossing up jump balls to Chris Godwin and Chris Godwin's not there anymore. Um, Their offensive line has struggled a little bit. They're still shuffling guys around there. Penn State's defense is much better than it was last year. And that's an important part of this. Maybe they're becoming a more balanced team and not nearly as explosive offensively as they were last year. But I think I agree with you. From what I've seen the last few weeks, um, I think Ohio State's better too. And I think Ohio State will have some good intangible advantages going forward. I mean, this is a team that's got to be supremely confident. They'll have two weeks weeks to prepare, Mm -hmm. which I don't think can be said enough how big of an advantage that's going to be. They have two weeks to prepare while Penn State is playing its toughest game of the season next Saturday against Michigan. I guarantee Urban and all those guys will be watching a game wherever they are. There's going to be, if you look up television rings, I guarantee if Columbus isn't in the top, isn't like number one or number two, as far as television markets go for that game, it's going to be number three. Everybody's going to be watching that game to see what's up and to see if Penn State can stand up to that best to the to the best challenge of their season. I think I'll write this at some point this week, but I just think for the second straight year people have this some people have this the idea of this game wrong. I think last year when Penn State beat Ohio State even after that fact, a lot of people treated that win as a fluke and did not respect Penn State when actually Penn State was a better team than Ohio State last year. Yeah, it was a crazy special teams play that happened and all that stuff, but Ohio State was so young, their passing game problems were so sort of institutional, they couldn't shake them. Um, Penn State was better than Ohio State. I think if Penn State and Ohio State had played 10 times last year, Penn State would have won seven. Hmm. And I think this year, now Penn State's in the top five. Penn State's undefeated. Penn State has last year behind them to, to, that proved some things to some people. And people think Penn State's better. And they're not. This is a much more veteran Ohio State team. Um, JT Barrett is playing better. J.K. Dobbins is on the scene. Nick Bosa is a much better player than a year ago. I know Penn State, and I agree, Bill's right. Penn State's defense is better. 
but Ohio State is such a different team. Ohio State is better. So last year, you everybody after the fact, nobody gave Penn State any respect in the playoff conversation because everybody brushed that off as a fluke. And that was wrong. I mean, you, what you saw what Ohio State did against Clemson, that was just a wrong assessment to just be like, yeah, well, Penn State won the Big Ten, but Ohio State's a better team. No, they weren't. And now everybody's freaked out, and you shouldn't be. So let's get to some questions. Tim, what do you have from the people? Tim, actually, the game was so out of hand, Tim put out the call for questions at halftime. And then nothing changed after the fact. So whatever you wondered about then, you're still wondering about now. <laughs> All right, we'll start from the earliest on, and we'll start with Joey at Drizzy Get Busy zero one. And he asks, is Ohio State playing like what? This is a funny name. Well, it is a good nickname. It is a his Twitter bio is a picture of Carmelo Anthony from, I think, a Foot Locker commercial. But Ed Drizzy Gets Busy Zero Ones asks, is Ohio State playing like the best team in the country at this moment? I should just keep saying the Twitter handle. Just yeah. keep making Who asked that out. again? <laughs> uh, Drizzy, Drizzy Gets what? Drizzy Get Busy Zero One. Is Ohio State playing like the best team in the country at this moment? Alabama's killing people, right? Yeah. Alabama, uh, the I think... What's funny is, like, the last two games Alabama, they handed the ball to Damian Harris, the first play from scrimmage, both times he goes 70-some yards for a, for a touchdown. Alabama beat Arkansas 41-9 today, beat A&M 27-19. That was really the only sh- struggle of any kind they've had since the Florida State game, and what we know... Here Alabama, here Alabama scores 24-7. 41 10, 41-23, 59-0, 66-3, 27-19, 41-9. Against, like, probably, not quite a comparable schedule, but they haven't really played anyone all that great since Florida State. I think there's an argument for Ohio State. Yeah, and I think, Doug, you brought up the point a while ago about how Alabama seems to schedule matchups that on paper look great, but when you dive into it, it's not the same thing. I think that Florida State game is flawed because when you look at Florida State's weaknesses, it matches up perfectly with what Alabama's strengths are. Florida State's offensive line is not very good. What does Alabama do better than anybody else? Attack downhill defensively. Florida State's defense also held Bama in check pretty good. Bama got one touchdown because Florida State fumbled the ball on like its own 11-yard line. And that was, I mean, without that, it's 17-7 to and not 24-7. to and the SEC outside of Auburn and Georgia this year is just not very good this year. So Georgia's playing well. Georgia won 53-28 against Missouri, beat Vandy, beat 10. I don't know. The SEC is not that good, like you said. Is it, is it possible that, that you guys made a point tonight that TCU might be for real in the Big 12. Is it possible that the four best teams in the country are I'm blowing off Wisconsin, but I'm okay with that. Are two in the Big Ten, two in the SEC. Georgia, Bama, Penn State, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I can buy that, yeah. I mean, I I, I know Clemson just lost to Syracuse, so this will sound crazy. Um, Clemson's really good. Like, and it, whatever, they have some stuff to figure out on offense. They don't know what the deal is with Kelly Bryant at quarterback. Clemson's defense is awesome. Yeah, Defensive line in particular. Yeah, but if Kelly Bryant's hurt, I don't know... Kelly Bryant's heard that's gonna, about it. But. Yeah, that'll pretty much destroy their chances to win the ACC and pretty much pave the way for Miami. I thought they had five. They had three five-star quarterbacks lined up, though. I don't know. Hunter Johnson is a freshman who, I guess, he didn't play. Like, Zara Cooper came in, right, to play when... Uh, yeah, I, I would assume Johnson would be a retro candidate, and then they have the number one kid in 2018 already committed. Miami's undefeated, but uh, they're a fake undefeated team. No. 
So, I mean, this is a week. I mean, Clemson, Washington, Washington State all lost this weekend. Uh, Oklahoma played another tight game with Texas. Um, I don't know. All right. And what, what do we have more Ohio State stuff, too? Um, well, here's from Chad M. He says, I think they could win it all, but last year they blew out the same teams in a similar fashion. Why should I be confident this year after that heartbreak of a year last year? Read our stories. Read our stories. It's like we can't tell you guys any more than we've already told you. Bill's going to write another story about it. Yeah. Yeah. We can't tell you more than we already told you. And it's like, well, what changed? The people in charge of the offense changed. So I did not buy I did not 100% buy in on that. I, it's been very weird with this team. Kevin Wilson got hired. People said he was a genius. Jumped the gun, I think, a little bit. Sluggish against Oklahoma. But now, like I think people are some people are reluctant now to go back to the thing they said originally, which was they hired a genius. They have two really good people running the offense. They had two very average people running the offense last year. That translates to a better JT, JT Barrett. They lost Curtis Samuel. That's huge. J.K. Dobbins is really good. The receivers have come along in a big way, but most of what is different are the people in charge have a better feel, a better rhythm, more confidence. They're using the weapons better. You see it. If you are hesitant, it's because you're afraid, because you were scarred by last year, and then you were scarred again by the Oklahoma game. But heal those scars, my friends. <laughs> get some get some uh, lotion. Rub some stuff on your scar, and you will be okay. Turn your scar into a tattoo. I don't know. A little aloe. A little aloe. Um, it's okay. You know, you, you know in your heart it looks different. I think that's the thing that's hard. Let it go. It's like it's not like a real tangible thing. It's just like you. It's a. It, it's a. You know it when you see it kind of thing. And the, like the feel for this offense is much different. And that's like part of what what I'm going to write that you can read on uh, Sunday morning on Cleveland.com. Um, they won sixty two to three back to back games, and I don't like. I. It's hard to remember last year how exactly we felt, and it's easy to kind of change what we, whatever it was in hindsight. Um. I never felt truly like the offense was ever fixed last year. It was a, a kind of a two-year thing that they were going through. And this just, to me, it feels so much different than it did the last two years. All right, I'll move on to the offensive line. First from AdViz Ambassador. What up, Viz? What up, Viz? Uh, he asks, any drop-off this game from the offensive line without Brandon Bowen? Demetrius Knox is blocking air, so it's hard to say. It is hard to say. Urban... Yeah, you were commenting several times. He was blocking air, air, double team. He did pancake a guy, although I think that was off a double team, and the the, the defender had no idea Demetrius Knox was coming to knock him down. Most of the time when he was blocking someone, he was blocking someone's butt because, like, Billy Price would be engaged, and then he would look for a double team and then go knock the guy over, which is what he's supposed to do. It's going to be a very, very different test against Penn State, but Urban Meyer, after the game, said he played well. Seemed happy with it. There weren't glaring errors, but yet there was the one play where he pulled and missed a block that would have sprung somebody if he'd gotten there. JT, so. I think JT would have scored if he didn't if he didn't whiff on the block. But whatever. I mean, that's one thing. It's like JT got 15 yards instead of scoring a touchdown, and they won 56-14. But when we saw, did I literally forget every time the word comes out of my mouth? Burrell or Burrell? Burrell. Burrell. Every we, did you not think that Matt Burrell was going to start? I was shocked that Demetrius Knox started. Urban Meyer said on Wednesday, "Yeah, they have the guy." And I think, did you assume, Tim, that it was Burrell? Yeah, I assumed it was because he was the guy who, who came in right off the bench to replace Bowen. So I think everybody was surprised. So 
we weren't in practice. We didn't see it. We didn't even hear anyone tell us about it. Would you, is your gut that Demetrius Knox just absolutely stole the job away and won it? Or would your gut be that, well, we got to pick somebody and they pick Knox? I came away from this game thinking that the chance, thinking there's a greater chance of Brady Taylor being a starting offensive lineman against Penn State. Which, if you guys listen, we talked a lot about in the postgame podcast a week ago after Bowen got hurt. And then I asked people, I asked Urban Meyer about it during the week, and they didn't say no. And they also admitted, yeah, we're thinking about that too. I agree with that. To me, it's a greater chance that with two weeks to prepare, they make a move on that. I, you know what I think they at least have to do? I think they have to be ready to do it. Yeah. Even if they don't yeah. do it, if they start Knox, I think they have to be ready for the idea of, I think they will be. Not even have they will be ready for the idea of okay, yeah, that is not going well. We have to make a change in the third series, and the change is Brady Taylor at center, Billy Price to guard. Yeah. Right. Well, we we sort of I think answered Ryan Sullivan's question. He asked, is the O line as good as it seems or is it vulnerable against legitimate teams? I think we kind of sort of just answered that a little bit. Is the how do you think the rest of the line's playing? Jamarco, Isaiah Prince at tackle. Fine. I mean pretty good. Certainly better than last year. They're the you're not going to block everybody 100% all the time, every play. Guys are going to get through every now and then. They looked completely overwhelmed at times last year, and I'm talking like even against like Indiana and Northwestern. Um, they're, they seem to be in a pretty good rhythm. It's, and I think I mean, Billy Price kind of you know gave voice to that after the game. The left side's a veteran group. I mean, those guys all started together every game last year. You, you even said it this morning, Doug. This was the first time in Urban Meyer's tenure, he's been here six years now, that they've had to replace the guy because of injury in the, on the offensive line, which is just remarkable. Which is why I'm not giving up on the fact of more change because they just haven't had to deal with this before. So yeah. yeah, and I think there are people who will say like, "Well, you can't make that change for Penn State." I'm like, well, you might not have a choice. You can't you can't go into that game with any kind of uncertainty on your offensive line. And Demetrius Knox, no offense, him starting to me is like uh, that screams uncertainty. Yeah, I agree. So we'll move to the defense. Uh, Mike oh, yeah, Moore. There's another side of the ball. Mike Moore at Mike Moore. Yeah, we've talked about offense for all. Let's talk defense. Mike Moore asks, we've talked about Barrett's improvement. Has the secondary improved as well? And I think the answer is two parts. If you watch just the first half, you say, sure. If you watch the second half, eh. I mean, it was like two or three breakdowns. I mean. With, uh, with I don't know. I'm like I, in the moment I was like kind of alarmed by what happened in the second half. Not alarmed, that's too strong of a word, but it just kind of piqued my interest a little bit. I'm I, I, I'm kind of it's worn off a little bit. I think now. I mean, you wonder how, what kind of defensive if they backed off a little bit in the second half, up forty-two nothing. I don't. So the the one touchdown, the second touchdown is just them thrown in the end zone and and beating Denzel Ward, and yeah. I'm not worried about Denzel Ward. So it's like nobody is nobody defends every pass thrown at them. Um, he barely got beat. That was a great throw though. By it was Tanner. really good, it was a good throw. throw. I mean, I'll give Tanner Lee some credit. He struggled early, but he really picked up a rhythm late in the first half, early in the second half. The only alarming play was that 77 yarder to JD Spielman, where Jordan Fuller didn't take a great angle, and Spielman just kind of ran wild. And I thought, I thought on that the coverage on that was weird. I thought was it, it was the like Damon. It was like somebody let him go off the line. It looked like Damon Webb came to help from safety and was behind the whole way and just was some kind of. I don't even know if it was a miscommunication, but it was a soft spot, a big soft spot on a slant. 
Um, and that one worried me a little bit of it's game seven. J.D. Spielman is literally the only guy on that offense who's doing anything. And he's lining up in the slot and running completely free across the middle of the field with nobody getting a finger on him. Yeah. And people reacting late to him and then unable to chase him down. And so that's going to be, I think, the hard thing about Penn State is, um, and this is sort of what happened last year, you you can beat Penn State if there's 70 snaps on both sides and there's 140 offensive and defensive plays. Ohio State might win 110 out of the 140 plays. But if of the 30 plays that Penn State wins, they pop three big touchdowns because the breakdowns are so gigantic, you're going to lose the game. Mm-hmm. So I think I, – I don't know that I'm worried about – secondary on like a down-by-down down basis, like you would have maybe been worried after the Indiana game, like, my God, play after play after play after play, they're competing, completing passes. I'm worried on a, on a big play here, big play there, bad angle, late reaction, oh, one throw over a corner, and all of a sudden Penn State has 21 points on three plays of 70 yards each, and you're in a hole. That, I think, is on the table. Yeah, I, I mean, anyone running free across the middle of the field is never a good thing. I don't. It, it just seemed to me, and this probably doesn't, wouldn't make anybody feel any better. But if it's if it's more like uh, just kind of like running the wrong play and less like getting beat one on one, I I don't know. That makes me feel a little bit better. I don't, maybe that's the wrong way to think about it. No, I agree with that. But Kendall Sheffield's still getting beat one-on-one. Kendall Sheffield had a play tonight where he gave up like a 20-yard pass and pass interfered with the guy in the same play. They had to turn They had to turn down the pass interference call because they took the reception. They didn't use Okuda, did they? He no. was not. Yeah, some, their nickel package was three safeties and two corners. Yeah, Greg Miller at OSU Farm Boy actually asked us the question, why no Jeffrey Okuda? I, maybe something just as simple as, you know, it's a true freshman playing in – Memorial Stadium in Nebraska, the loudest environment. You know, they, maybe they didn't want to put too much pressure. Yeah, but on it's him. not loud when the when the home team's on offense. But I mean, and they were missing a corner for the first half, and he's the next corner up. So they, so they changed said. what they normally do. They did not rotate three corners through two spots in the first half. They yeah. played Sheffield at one spot and Ward at another. So I thought they would not change what they do, and you slide Okuda in. They absolutely changed what they, they did. They definitely changed it. Didn't and so that means that, that he is not just like the other guys. So they seem to talk that way. It certainly seems like the progress that they said he was making, the skills he has, he could have been treated that way. Listen, he's a fourth corner. If two corners get hurt, he's got to play. So they're not trying to protect him. They just think he wasn't good enough. That's it. He played special teams the whole night. He's fine. He's healthy. It's nothing there. They just think he wasn't good enough. They thought it, he w- they thought playing Jeffrey Okuda would not help them win. Got about two more questions here. And by the way, guys, I'm a little disappointed I didn't get any food questions. No one asked about our run. There's zone. no food in the postgame pod, Tim. Okay, fair enough. Learn the rules. I'm so tired, pod. too, by the way. Yeah, I'm really All right. tired. I'm really tired. I'll be quick at this. I this, did eat a, two runs, though. Yeah. I missed Viz Ambassador's second question earlier. He asked, is Sean Nuremberger good enough for Urban's corner kickoff technique? No. Yeah, we saw it. The first kickoff, like, bounced off the turf and into the sideline. That was Hallbill kicking. Oh, yeah, that, that was Hallbill kicking. But neither one of them are good enough to do that, so they should stop doing it. But what was I, – I still could – what did they change? What was the change? I don't know. I think they kicked a few more in. Kicking the, the ball end. straight up in the air like a knuckle ball so the guy could fair catch on the 40-yard line? I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, there they, are more special teams <laughs> questions. They, they kicked a few more into the end zone than 
I thought they would. And last one, and we kind of talked about this a little earlier, and this can kind of lead into the next two weeks. Charlie White at Chuck I White asks, after the last four last four weeks, what's the one weakness with this team that Penn State will look to exploit? Pass defense. Yeah, I think one on one pass defense. But like more specifically, I think throwing forty back shoulder throws at Kendall Sheffield until he proves he can stop him. That would that would scare me a little bit. I, I, it's not as much as alarming as the stuff over the middle was. Kendall Sheffield one on one on the outside against uh, like Jawan Johnson and Trace McSorley just chucking it up for grabs would scare me. How who's covering Gasecki? I don't know. They're I'm really good to, tight end. Yeah, I mean, I guess Arnett or or Webb. That's kind of what they did against Mark Andrews right before he got hurt. Yeah, they're gonna. Yeah, plus Denzel. I don't think he can use a linebacker. I, I think, think that's so what they're. And you got three great. They got plenty of good receivers. DeAndre Tompkins. You got Deshaun Hamilton, who I believe is now the Penn State career receptions leader. He's been there like fourteen years. They have options. Yeah, they have more more receivers than I think Ohio State's more proven receivers than any team Ohio State's faced this season. And, and listen, um, this happens to teams all the time. But there was the one play in particular where Jordan Jordan Fuller, I think, is playing really well. He had a bad angle on one play in particular. Um, if they take a bad angle on Saquon Barkley, they're going to turn a 10-yard run into a 70-yard touchdown. Yeah. So they have to be completely sound. And I think they are doing a pretty good job of that. But I feel like they still have that in them, possibly, to get too excited and overrun a play. And I think the linebackers have played pretty well, maybe really well, since Oklahoma when they made a lot of mistakes and play action and that kind of thing. Um, but... That that is still a very easy thing to do to try to key on Saquon Barkley and then they get play actioned over the top or they try to over pursue or get too aggressive and it's a thing I mean, against a good defense like Ohio State you use their aggression against them so I'll be curious you know Penn State's going to do something a little bit different here and there um, but Penn State's defense Ohio State's defense I think play to play is really good I think they're still a little vulnerable to the big play. And it's always a matter of can the opposition make you pay? And Penn State is absolutely the kind of offense that can make you pay um, and turn one little mistake into seven points. Saquon Barkley, by the way, and I think we'll we'll dive into why this is the case and what they're doing. Um, and maybe this hasn't been updated through this week. Number five in the Big Ten in receptions per game and number six in the Big Ten in receiving yards per game. That's the best running back in the country. And the thing with Saquon Barkley, you can be sound and you could still make a mistake. Saquon Barkley's that good. It almost doesn't matter how sound you are. He still can beat you. So that's something I think that yeah. Greg Schiano is going to have a problem with two weeks. Is like you can do everything right defensively and Saquon can still beat you. That's what's, that's what's got to worry you a little bit is he's going to make those plays that no matter what you do, he will beat you. The best offensive player in that game plays for Penn State. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that it? Yep, that's all that's the questions it. All right. I got. It's 42 minutes for post-game pod. I'm literally falling asleep on the phone. Um, are we going to write tonight? I'm old. I feel older than I used to. We stayed it's up. A, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Our time. Or our, or our body clock is 3 o'clock in the morning. Very tired. Um, all right. We're going to put this up. Um, you guys can always tweet us at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice at BillLandis25. Uh, we will have another podcast in the middle of the week. Um, where we it's on the bye week for Ohio State, they're off this week. We'll have interviews with players in Urban Meyer on Wednesday. Again, have the podcast up on Wednesday, talking about stuff, getting ready for Penn State week. Um, 
We'll have more off this win over Nebraska, 56-14 to on cleveland.com slash OSU. Go read our stories there. A couple more videos there. So uh, we're not going anywhere. Ohio State's going to uh, take a little break, but we are not going anywhere. This is a big game. It's going to be uh, a fun two weeks to get ready to build up to this. I'd rather build up to this than build up to Illinois or whatever or mm-hmm. somebody else. So um, if you guys have ideas, send them our way. But for now, thanks for listening. Uh, we're all going to just climb in this big, giant king bed in our clothes and just <laughs> cuddle and fall asleep. Um, so for Tim Bielek and Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks again for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.